But if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John. Uh, a few years ago, Kathy and I travelled to the United States, and a part of that trip included a visit to Alcatraz, which is an island in the uh, in the San Francisco Bay. There's a picture here of it, so that's that's there. And uh, it was once a notorious prison housing the likes of Al Capone and Machine Gun Kelly. That's not the famous rocker, a rapper at least. That is the original. Um, Guy, Machine Gun Kelly, who was in actual fact a notorious gangster, and there are no prizes for guessing what his weapon of choice was. But it is now a tourist attraction, and it's 2.4 kilometres away from the mainland, and it's been said from the exercise yard, which is just up over here, from the exercise yard, just in here behind that building, when the breeze is blowing from the mainland onto the island, those that were incarcerated on the island could hear the sounds of parties, and girls laughing, and that in itself was torture enough, let alone being behind bars. And apparently one of the most common slogans among those serving long sentences in prisons in the United States is, you've got nothing coming. You've got nothing coming. That's a sad statement, isn't it? It's a hopeless statement, robbing the inmates of any sense of hope that they might have left, effectively saying, you're getting what you deserve. You don't expect anything better. Nothing's going to change in your life. You've got nothing coming. The truth is that you don't have to be in a physical prison like Alcatraz in order to be behind bars, self-imposed bars in our own thinking, having succumbed to believing this is as good as it's going to get. The best is right now, and man, this is pretty bad. It's not going to get any better. I may as well sit down and endure where I am. This is it. And I believe it's important to realize that we have a very real enemy who is out to rob, kill, and destroy us. The Bible tells us that in John 10.10. 10. And one of the strategies he will use is to contain us. And the containment is a very good strategy because it is so subtle. If he was to push us, it would be too obvious. So instead, the enemy would rather lull us into a false sense of security, maybe a comfortable complacency, away from the challenges of moving to the next thing in God. And maybe today we feel a sense of containment. Maybe we even feel like we're stuck where we are. It's like Groundhog Day. And if you've seen that movie, you'll understand what I mean. And here we are, mid-July. Any New Year's resolutions that we made? Who makes New Year's resolutions? <laughs> any that we did make or any desire to change is quickly gone. Nothing has changed at all. We look in the mirror every morning. It's the same old person looking back. The hope of a better year, the hope of better than last year, is dissipated. We feel stuck, contained. We feel trapped. I want to look this morning at what we should do if we feel that way. And there appears like there's no escape. See, we can all end up stuck in one way, shape, or form. Maybe stuck in a job that is not suited to us. Stuck at a level spiritually we know we need to move on. Stuck in a financial system or a cycle that seems to be going round and round and we can't break free. Stuck in a relationship, possibly even a marriage where there's little love and joy. Stuck at a level that we know we should have left some time ago, but we're still here because it hasn't happened for us. In John chapter 5, we read of a man who was stuck. It's on the screen. I'd like to read it to you now, verses 1 through 9. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, replied the invalid, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. 
Now, just by way of explanation, um, what was thought was an angel would come down, stir the water in that pool, and the first person that could get into the pool when the water was being stirred would be healed of whatever condition they had. Okay, picking it up back again in verse 7. goes on to say, While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now this man had had this condition for 38 years. If ever there was anyone that was stuck, it was him. What we see here is this man gets free. He gets unstuck, if you like. And I believe there are things that we can learn from this situation that we can apply to our own lives. So if we really want to get unstuck and move on, the first thing we have to do is we have to really want it. We have to really want it. Jesus asked the man in verse 6, do you want to get well? Now anyone looking in on this situation would have thought, what sort of question is that, Jesus? I mean, come on. This guy's an invalid. Can't you see that? The man's by the pool. This is where the blind, the, the, the paralyzed, and the lame come, and they do that because they want to get into the pool. So surely that shows you this man wants to get free from his condition. Only sick people come here. It's obvious, isn't it? It seems like Jesus wasn't that convinced. You see, there are a lot of people who claim they want to change, but in reality, that's not the case. I recall a number of years ago hearing Derek Prince tell of a man who had been prayed for for his shoulder. This chap had a sore shoulder, been prayed for by a faith healer. The shoulder was miraculously healed, which was fantastic. He thanked the faith healer and walked off the stage. And as he was walking away, he walked with a limp, doing this. And, and this guy said, hey, hey, I, I can pray for you. Your limp as well, your leg, if you like. And the man said, oh, no, don't touch that. That's my war pension. See, we can declare that we want to rise up to a new level even go through the motions and appear like uh, we're attempting to move on because we know that's what's expected of us. But on the inside, we've grown accustomed to our situation. We have enjoyed the additional attention our circumstance brings us rather than rising to a whole new level that God would cause us to or call us to. Sometimes we learn to live with being stuck. You know, I see, unless there's an inward state of heart and mind, the outward circumstances will never change. We will remain contained. It's a good question to ask ourselves. Do we really want to get free? Do we really want to move on to the next thing God has for us? Or have we given up the fight? Frustratingly content with our lot. Have we laid down and wilted on the inside and just accepted, well, it's just my lot in life. It's the cross that I must bear. Or do we really want it? Or have we given up on the inside? Really want to find that new level of freedom, freedom from the sin that so easily entangles Find that love, have it back in our marriage, that joy back in our marriage. Do we really want to lift the game as far as our employment and our finances are concerned? Or have we learned to live with mediocrity and monotony? As a child, uh, our family went to Rotorua for a holiday. And um, I decided as a young boy then, I never want to live here. Does anyone have any idea why as a young boy I might think I never want to live in Rotorua? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole place doesn't stink. There are places where it's actually quite pleasant. And there are people, though, who do live in an area and in the areas where there is quite a distinct odour. But it doesn't bother them. Now, why is that? It's because they've grown accustomed to it. It's normal for them. They don't think about it. They've just learned to live with it. And in the same way, some of us can learn to with a, live with a stench in our finances or a stench in our marriage or a stench in our employment or a stench in some area of our lives. And without realising it, we've accepted it as that's just the norm. If we want to get unstuck, we have to draw a line in the sand and say, enough is enough. I'm not going to stand for this anymore. I'm not going to stand for this any longer. 
I'm tired of being stuck. Things have got to change. And in the words of Popeye the sailor man, I can't stand it, I can't stand it, I can't stand it no more. Give me a can of spinach. I want to move on. A young man went fishing by a lake once, and he, as he was casting, he, he, he noted down the bank, riverbank an older gentleman that he recognised as being a relatively famous, successful business person. And this young chap decided he wanted to engage this man in conversation. So he sidled on a little bit closer to him, the older man, and uh, said, excuse me, sir, I don't mean to bother you, but I recognise who you are. And I'm a young person entering into business, and I'd like to ask you some advice. What do I have to do to achieve the kind of success that you have had? And the older man looked at him and said, do you really want to know? And he said, yes, I do. And he said, well, come a little bit closer. So he did. Put down your fishing rod. He did. He said, look into the water. So the young guy looked into the water, staring intently, saw his own reflection, but that's about as far as it went. The older man then grabbed him by the hair and thrust his head into the water and held him down for 10 seconds in the water. 20 seconds. 30 seconds. 40 seconds. Now this guy's flailing and trying to get out and pushing, but he was holding him down as hard as he could. 45 seconds later, he yanks him out onto the water, and this young guy goes flying back onto his back, spluttering. <laughs> you could just see it. Well, well, what did you do that for? And the older man said, I was answering your question. What do you mean? He said, the old man said this, when you want success like you wanted that same, that breath, then you're on your way. Then you're on your way. You see, we've really got to want it. The truth is, we may not know exactly what we want, but we know that we're not staying where we are. We're not staying where we are, and our confession has to be, I'm moving on. I don't know where I'm moving to, but I'm moving on. I'm not, I'm not staying where I am no more. I can't stand this anymore. I'm believing for a better tomorrow. God has got better things for me in my finances or in my marriage or in my employment or in my health, whatever it is. I'm not staying where I am. God is taking me on, and I'm believing for it. So the first thing we're going to do to get unstuck is to really want it. Second thing we have to do is found in verse 7. We have to stop making excuses and blaming others. After Jesus had asked him if he wanted to get well, the man said this, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He effectively was saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault the way I am. I am, I am because of what others have done to me. And I am the way I am because of what others haven't done for me. Listen to the list of explanations given to the Metropolitan Insurance Company by policyholders to explain the car accident that they were involved in. Some of these are pretty good. One person said this, An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car and vanished. <laughs> Another one said, The other car collided with mine without warning me of its intention. As I reached an intersection, a hedge sprang up, obscuring my vision. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran him over. <laughs> the telephone pole was approaching fast. I attempted to swerve many times before it struck my front end. <laughs> the guy was all over the road. I had to swerve several times before I hit him. <laughs> this is good. I've been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. <laughs> I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. <laughs> and finally, the indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. <laughs> yeah, we have a way of making excuses, don't we? It goes right back to the Garden of Eden. You think about the fact when Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had said you shouldn't eat from. What did Adam do when God confronted him about it? He said, you, the woman you gave me, Gave it to me. In other words, it's your fault. You gave her me. 
You gave her to me. Yeah. You gave her to me. And if you won't buy that, then it's her fault. And what does Eve say when God confronted Eve with it? He said, the serpent deceived me. And of course, you would no doubt heard that Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. So we've got to stop blaming others for our situation. It never helps us move on. So let's not miss out all God has for us by settling for where we are. We've really got to decide, I don't want to stay stuck anymore, number one. And number two, I'm refusing to blame others for my circumstances. The third thing we've got to do is we must obey what the Lord has said to us. And in verse 8 we see this. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. You know what the Lord commands us to do may make sense, but it also may, may not. It may not make sense. What it will require is that we forsake our own plans and thoughts in order to cooperate with him in getting unstuck and moving on. The sick man in John chapter 5 was looking for three things. He was looking for an angel to come down. He was looking for that angel to stir the water, so the water is to be stirred. He was looking for someone to help him in. These three things he felt he needed in order to get ahead and to be healed. Jesus, however, had an entirely different plan. The Lord's plan required the sick man to put out of his mind the things that had happened in the past. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 43, verse 19, See, I am doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I am doing a new thing. I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? It's a new day. Some of us need to have someone come up to us and give us a good slap across the front. Come on, wake up! It's a new day! It's time to move on. You've been in this situation too long. It's a new day. Tomorrow's a better day for you. We've got to move on. It's time. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. It's a new day for you. It's a new day for me. Ask yourself, what would your life look like? What would my life look like if I stepped up into the next level? If you stepped to the next level, broke off confinement, broke off all that which contains you, that feeling of being trapped and stuck, and you moved into that next level, what would your life look like if you did that? Because that's where he wants us to be. Jesus told the sick man to get up, even though it didn't make sense for him. But the man had to do that to break off containment. The good question to start to ask ourselves is, what is the last thing God told us to do? And have we done it? Have we done it? Have I done it? Or have I rationalized my way out of it? The choice is either simple. It's very simple. We either obey or we remain stuck. There doesn't seem to be a middle, middle ground. There's no middle option. There's a story in the Old Testament that is quite similar to this in some respects, and it's found in 1 Kings chapter 17. There's a time when there's big drought and famine. The prophet Elijah is told by the Lord to move on, not to remain where he was, but to move on. So he does, and in verses 8 through 16 of 1 Kings 17, I'd like to read it to you. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath, the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and to make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make make something for yourself and your son. 
For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. The widow was in a similar situation, stuck. Stuck in a hopeless situation, no way out. There was famine, there was drought. There was no sign of anything changing. It was at this point that God asked her to do something ridiculous in order to release the miraculous. And if we're stuck feeling contained or trapped, we really want to break free and we've done with excuses. And in order to do that, we need to do what the widow did and be willing to risk losing everything in order to embrace that which God has for us. What the widow had been doing up to that point hadn't been working. She was about to go home, make her last meal and die. We can be like that too. We know what we're doing isn't working, yet we carry on. It's been said a definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. The widow had to forsake her plan and embrace God's. And we have a choice to make. Will we abandon our thoughts, our ways, our plans and accept his? The widow did just that. She trusted God and it led to her freedom. And oftentimes we find ourselves stuck, caught up in our situation, aren't taking the time to listen to what he's saying. We've got to stop and listen. Pay attention. This is critical. Because if we don't listen to him, we won't hear. We won't know what he's telling us to do. And if you have done that, and you're still in that situation where I don't seem to be moving on, but I am doing what God has told me to do, listen again and hear more and more clearly. He may well have something else you've got to do in order to break free. You see, invariably God says, I will if you will. I will if you will. He does not often say, I will, whether or not you will. Take, for example, James 4.8, where he says, I will if you will. He says, come near to me, and I'll come near to you. It requires us to come near to him first, before he come near, comes near to us. Chuck Swindell, in his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, says this. Imagine, if you will, you work for a large corporation, a large company, where the president found it necessary to travel abroad for a couple of years. So he calls his, cus his uh, loyal managers together and says, look, I'm going away for a while. I want you to look after the business. Now don't worry, I'll write to you instructions and, and any concerns I have about the business and you put those in play and you'll, you'll be fine. Everyone agrees. So he heads off overseas for a couple of years. And during that time he writes concerning the, and the things he's concerned about the business and gives instructions and his desires. Well finally he returns and he walks up to the front door of the company and he immediately discovers things aren't all that great. There are broken windows across the front of the building. There are weeds in the garden. He walks into the front office, and the young lady that normally would be behind the counter is asleep. There's horseplay in the back office. There's loud music coming from the back. There's a couple of guys. One's got someone else in the headlock and giving him a noogie. Yeah, it's just, it's just not good, not good at all. He calls everyone together and finds that the business, in actual fact, made a terrible loss in, his, in the time that he's away. So without hesitation, he calls everyone into the boardroom and says, what happened? Didn't you get my letters? And they said, oh, sure, we got them, all right. Gosh, they were good. We even bound them in a book. And some of them, some of us have even memorized some of them. Well, <laughs> we even have a letter study on a Sunday. Can you believe that? They were really great letters. And Swindell goes on to say, surely the president will say, but, but, but you didn't do anything. You didn't do what I told you to do. They say, do? Well, no, we didn't do anything. We'd, but they were good letters to read. 
Yeah, James chapter 1, verse 22 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what it says. To read it and not do it is to deceive yourself. It's in the doing that we are obedient. The widow could have heard what Elijah had said, disregarded it, and remained stuck. The sick man in John 5 could have disregarded Jesus' instructions to pick up his mat and go, and remained stuck. They had to obey in order to get unstuck. And once we've heard his voice and decided that we're going to follow and obey it, the problem is half solved. The cool thing, the Bible reveals God's desire for us to be placed into a spacious place, not to be restricted. Jesus has come to set us free. Here's three scriptures here from 2 Samuel, Job 36 and Psalm 31. It says this, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place, free from restriction. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. But we've really got to want it if we want to get unstuck and unconfined and uncontained. We've really got to stop blaming others and making excuses. And we have to do what the Lord has told us to do. Every day the enemy would seek to contain us. Every day he'd seek to imprison us in small thinking and in boredom and mediocrity and insignificance and making little progress, making no headway, remaining in the same place, contained. This is completely opposite to God's desire for your life and mine. His plan for us is to rise to the next level, to reach our fullest potential for him. Not to look back, but to look forward. Not to look down, but to look up. It's a journey, and sometimes it's slow. But we need to be patient as he works out his glorious plan. Wayne Cordero tells of an apple farmer called Mr. Bailey, who was one of the best. During a season of prolonged drought, all the orchards in the valley dried up. And as a result of this lack of moisture, no rain. The valley's apple crops was destined to fail, all except Mr. Bailey's. And he was called and asked, how is it that your trees are so green and still producing and everyone else's are dry? And he said, well, my trees can go for another couple of weeks without rain. Well, how is this happening? The other orchardist asked. And he said, well, when my trees were young, I frequently withheld water from them. And because of that, they had to send their roots deeper into the soil to find moisture. And now, when there's little rain, my trees are drinking moisture from a far, far deeper level. And so for us, in times of containment, of feeling trapped and stuck, we need to send our roots deeper into his word, deeper into his love, meditating on his promises and not giving up. You know, there's never been a success story half written. Don't get despondent, don't give up. And as we determine that we want to move on and determine not to blame others or make excuses and determine to be obedient to all that God has said, we will get dislodged and move in the next direct, the, the right direction at least to the next level he has for us. May God bless you all. Would you stand with us please, if you're able? I'd love to pray with you. you know, as we come to pray this morning, if you could identify with um, some aspect of what I've been sharing, you might like to raise your hands to heaven and just as an outward sign, Lord, I just want to move on to the next level, whatever it is. It may be in a relationship, it might be in your finances, it could be in your health, it could be in anything, just in your spiritual level where you are and walking with him. If you'd just like to raise your hands to heaven, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for the gift of life and the opportunities that life has to be a blessing to others, but also to bring a smile to your face and be all you've called us to. Thank you for the fact that, Lord, you love us. And we determine that we don't want to stop short of all you've called us to be, and we don't want to stop short of all you've called us to do. Lord, you see these dear folk as we gather here today. We want to move on, to not live contained, stop blaming others and making excuses, and to be obedient. Give us ears to hear your voice, I pray. Lord, I declare that we're believing for a better day, a day of freedom, of potential reached, a day of living full on for you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Dislodgement is coming. Lids are lifting off. Restrictions are fleeing in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And if this morning, if it's your health that's holding you back, you need healing in your physical being and you feel that that is holding you, that's containing you, you might like to raise one hand to heaven and another on your, on your, on your chest right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. For those, Lord, who need healing right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. Just like the man in John chapter 5, he picked up his mat and walked. He was obedient to all you called him to. Father, I thank you that you have given your son and you said it is by your stripes that we are healed. And I declare healing right now in Jesus' name. We break the spirit of infirmity over people's lives in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for healing, the gift of healing to be released in Jesus' name from the front of this uh, room to the back of this room in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Touch folk, Lord. In faith we believe. And right now in Jesus' name, we thank you that you did not withhold your own son. Gave him up for us all. Right now in Jesus' name, we thank you. How will you not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so, Father, I pray for divine health in Jesus' name, for healing to come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And if like the widow of Zarephath, if it's resources or finances that are holding you back and you feel contained or restricted because of a lack in that area, Father, I pray for those folk that they would know that you said that you would provide all of our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we unlock the floodgates of heaven and pray that you'd pour out resource, Lord, to in order to see people to be able to move in the direction you want them to move in Jesus' name, not contained or confined because of a lack of resource. Thank you, word says, Lord, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Thank you, Lord. You said you'd open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such blessing that we cannot contain as we do what you've called us to do, which is to put you first in our finances, put you first in our resources, put you first with our time. Thank you, Lord. So Holy Spirit, come. Minister now, I pray in Jesus' name. I pray for breakthrough, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Confinement to go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Containment to be gone in the name of Jesus. Lift our eyes, Lord to where you want us to go and we would step in that next direction in that direction in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I pray thank you Lord thank you Jesus come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit thank you Lord thank you Jesus thank you Lord amen